0: It's Wednesday, March the 11th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics
1: podcast from The Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. This is a somewhat unusual edition of the podcast. Like many other companies and organisations this week, The Irish Times is testing the robustness of its remote working procedures in an anticipation of increased social distancing requirements as the COVID-19 virus spreads to larger parts of the population. So I am recording this from my own home in Dublin's North City, while I'm joined on the line by Pat Leahy and Jennifer Brayford. From our political staff. Um, first of all, Jennifer, where are you?
2: I'm in my sitting room, sitting in front of a very large bag of M&Ms. This is the danger of working at home.
0: Mm, sounds good. Uh, Pat, where are you? I'm in my oak-panelled study in the leafy suburbs with a view out over Dublin Bay where I can see the boats twinkling in the distance. No, I'm, in, I, okay, I'm in my right. kitchen. We, we might just we... cut you out of this conversation, Pat, but
1: know uh, we will Seriously, um, because this is, a, this is a serious matter. The reason why we're doing this is very serious. I think we're all finding it a little bit hard to get our heads around what the ramifications are of this uh, coronavirus situation, uh, what they're likely to be, um, both in our own personal lives and in our professional lives, Pat.
0: Yeah, we don't know what the extent of the spread of the virus is going to be here, but it is anticipated by public health experts and by uh, the ministers who give voice to the advices that they're receiving from, uh, from those people that, you know, we will move in the not too distant future to a situation where there is infection in the community. Now, i suppose everybody's goal is to contain that infection to the greatest degree possible and to delay its spread so that the the, the spike in infections that they anticipate does not overwhelm the the health uh, the health service but there's no doubt that looking at the experience in other european countries that we're probably a couple of weeks behind where they are and the the spread into the community and the associated disruption that will come with that, uh, such as closure of workplaces, people working from home, closure of schools, cancellation of all sorts of public events, that is around the corner. And, you know, it would be folly uh, folly to think that it isn't, I think. So... This is a political podcast,
1: it's not a medical podcast, and we're not going to pretend to have levels of knowledge that, uh, that that we don't have. But I think, Jen, as Pat says there, it's become increasingly clear over the last few days, particularly looking at the news coming out of Italy, that, as Pat says, the key strategic objective uh, of the government and the medical professionals here is to prevent the sort of spike which would overwhelm our health services and which appears to have done exactly that in, in certainly in some parts of, of northern Italy. And that is to 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 in as much as is possible, to slow the spread of the, of the virus over the next couple of weeks. And I suppose I'm listening, I'm watching um, some of our own columnists today in the Irish Times, Paul Cullen, our health correspondent, and he does raise a number of, of questions. And that's all they are, really. That's all they can be, is questions about whether the government is taking, um, I suppose, drastic enough measures at this point.
2: Yeah and 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 you're right to say that they are just questions right now. I mean we don't really have any experts on the coronavirus this this strain of the coronavirus because it is so new. So uh, I think we're all learning together. And that's what we're seeing in a lot of the news coverage. I think that's why people are watching uh the course that Italy is taking so closely and and watching what's happening over there and how it has spread. And I guess looking at how we have handled the situation and asking, have we done enough to stop a similar spread? So you mentioned Paul Cullen's piece there from this morning, which is a very good piece. And he does pose a lot of uh, interesting, a lot of important questions. He's you know, asking, have we done the right things at the right time uh, to to combat the threat posed by the virus? Or have we, in fact, gone down the exact same road uh, that the Italians did, which to a certain degree, uh, as Pat said, we won't really know for the time being. But, you know, I, I think if you look at the medical advice or the advice that was being given out this time last week, and that was that there was no requirement for most healthcare workers returning from northern Italy or from parts of the world where coronavirus was in active transmission to self-isolate for 14 days. and But there was an exception for staff returning from areas of higher community transmission um, who were required to stay home for that period. And my colleague Naomi O'Leary has a really interesting piece about how the the Dutch are coming in for a lot of criticism. They believed that if you weren't showing the symptoms, uh, that you could be monitored and that there was no need for uh, a higher level of restriction. And now we know, actually, in the last few weeks that you can pass on the virus if you're asymptomatic. Um, So I think... That's going to be a key area that will be closely examined a little bit more over the next few days, even if you're not symptomatic, if you have returned from these areas, or in fact, obviously all of Italy now, um, what kind of restrictions should be put in place there? Um, So Paul's piece is really interesting. I definitely recommend it for anybody who wants to catch up on kind of where we're at at the moment. Um, Another interesting thing actually that he talks about is how there is this reference now to having discovered cases. uh, But there are international experts who say we should actually refer to them as newly discovered rather than new cases, because there's many more cases in the community uh, yet to be revealed through through tracing. So, um, you know, our response, has it been enough? Will it be enough? I actually think that will only emerge in the coming days. Simon Harris has said very clearly that we should expect a lot more cases and that we're not some kind of fortress. This isn't Fortress Ireland. Um, so there are interesting comments too.
1: Yeah, Pat, I'm interested. In, I don't know if you've been talking to anybody with your kind of contacts in the in the political world. I mean, the, the, the front page and homepage of the Irish Times this morning uh, it has a series of messages really from the state which are along the don't panic and don't get too carried away with yourself kind of line. No, we're not going to close schools in the immediate future. No, we're not going to take certain other more drastic measures, although all those things may may come in the fullness of time. And I know in my day job as as arts editor, I was, saw a real uh, increase in the flow of cancellations and close downs coming into my my email inbox yesterday afternoon. And I wonder if the government is just trying to just steady the ship a little bit there right
0: now yeah possibly. I think the justification or the rationale for and I suppose the case that everybody talks about or the action that everybody talks about right now is closing the schools, which is seems to me kind of totemic for a much wider national shutdown um, that, that we see in Italy, uh, obviously at the moment, and have seen in, in other places like China. the rationale for not doing that now I think is that you, you will have to do it at some stage in the not too distant future but you want to do it for a period that it's most the period that it's most effective because people will lose patience with it after a couple of weeks that seems to me to be what government are saying certainly when I was talking to people over the last couple of days in government. That's the impression I was getting from them. And it's very much what Simon Harris was saying last night on primetime on RTE television, which is that you need to time that closing of the schools, national shutdown for the period of its greatest efficacy, because it won't last forever. And I suppose, you know, one other thing to bear in mind, and I've been reading a lot of stuff about how the the outbreak of the disease has been managed in uh, in Asia. And I suppose China most, most particularly, but in other places like South Korea and Singapore as well. Those societies are different to ours. They live their lives differently there. The authority of the state is much stronger there. I mean, you know, I suppose the government could have advised people not to go to Cheltenham my guess is that even if they did, many of them would have gone anyway. And that may make this disease harder to combat when it comes to those sort of measures in our society than it has been in uh, in, in in Asia,
1: yeah, Jen, and a very interesting column by Kathy Sheridan into in today's Irish Times as well, which is around some of those issues. For example, the the information, sometimes the disinformation, or the very extreme views being expressed on social media. Um, some tensions. She describes an incident at I think it's at a, a petrol station somewhere in the Midlands, and uh, a, an older man in his sixties getting very upset because some younger men just didn't bother washing their hands before coming out of the bathroom, and just all the sort of you know there is. Really is the potential for, for, for a lot of tension in our society. It is very different from China. It is also very different from South Korea, although South Korea is, is at least a democracy. And there is, you know, there is a really moot point about how on all the different levels required this society is going to react to that, both at government and administrative level, the capacity of our health service, of course, but also questions which are are, are more difficult to pin down about you know how much social cohesion there is in a country like this.
2: Yeah, we're facing a really few interesting weeks and possibly months and we I think Cathy Sheridan in her piece she's basically pointing out that I think we're going to learn a lot about ourselves um how we react to each other our patience for each other I'd say maybe stretched um and uh how we react to people who may have been uh, affected or infected and she talks a little bit about how um over the weekend there was a Dublin taxi driver who spotted a group of kind of lost um looking Italian visitors and kind of pulled up to them and rolled down the window just a tiny bit, just enough to be able to talk to them, to be able to direct them to where they needed to go, I think, to their Airbnb. Um, and about this kind of fear, almost, of, of Italians and how a Dublin restaurateur had tweeted he was closing um, on St. Patrick's Day for the health of the staff because an Italian band was playing in the parade. And I saw a little bit of this myself, actually, over the weekend. I took a week off last week to decompress from the election. And one of the nights I went away with a few friends of mine and we were staying in a nice hotel and we got into the pool and then it was four girls and we were sitting there chatting and then two guys who looked Italian got in and we were fine somebody nearby started talking about oh god they're Italian um we better get out and now I stayed where I was I think that's you know extreme overreaction and also you don't know that those two guys are Italian and it's just it's you see more of this kind of reaction now and it is interesting and I think a lot of it could be tackled by, you know, uh, I suppose, tackling the spread of misinformation or disinformation. Um, And you see it as well, like I would use the bus a lot to get in and out to work. And the first thing I've noticed that a lot less people are using it. But secondly, now, if somebody coughs, even if they're covering their mouth and doing it in the right way, everybody kind of glares at the back of their head as if they've done something terrible. And I think, you know, we need to perhaps... Be a little bit more compassionate if someone needs to cough they 're going to cough um, and that 's just the reality of the situation if you 're going to use public transport that 's the way it 's going to be so I think the, her column goes through a lot of that you know what will our reaction be to each other? what will our reaction be to our own personal circumstances such as this idea of panic shopping so you know I would have an opinion that i don 't think it 's uh, necessarily panic. Shopping, So I went to Lidl on Monday and filled trolley up with stuff that I thought I might need. But that's not because I believe that the shelves are going to run out and that we're not going to be able to get access to pasta or tinned foods. It's more I think, well, what if I have to self-isolate? I don't want to have to come into contact with other people. I don't want to put other people at risk. That's my big fear because I'm in an age group that I should be OK my fear is uh, infecting relatives maybe who are not well in the last few weeks. So, you know, that's where the, the, this idea of panic buying comes from. But it's more just trying to get prepared. So I think we will see a lot about our own reaction, our own reaction uh, to each other. And the question is posed in Cathy's column, what would you do? Will you cancel the gig you're supposed to go to? Will you still fly to London to meet your you know kids or your friends? Um, and I think that there was also a really good column in The Atlantic where it talks about the only way really to combat the spread of this virus, given what Pat said about how we live our lives differently. We're a democracy here. It's not the case in other places like China. Um, you know, will we will we do these things? Will we cancel these things? Personally, I have. I was supposed to go to a gig tonight. I'm not going. Um, so, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see how we handle it in the next in the next few weeks. And I think people probably owe each other at the very least uh, a bit of compassion.
1: Pat, this may be a very difficult question, and if so, apologies. But, I mean, we you know, we do um, talk and write a lot about, you know, the the politics and society of this country. It's a very particular place uh, in a very particular time in its history. It has certain kinds of social structures and, and traditions. And I think a lot of people are wondering, you know, because this is a global pandemic, obviously, and we can already see that there are different national reactions in different countries, depending upon the politics and the culture um, of those countries, in terms of Ireland, we know there's a structural problem with the health service. We know that our society works in a certain kind of a way. We know that we have a certain kind of a government at the most basic level, a caretaker government right now. Um, how how well set up are we to deal
0: with this terribly difficult situation as well as we possibly can? In some ways, we have certain advantages that other countries don't have. So, for example, a lot of our population, is take Dublin aside, is not very densely packed together in the way it is, say, in, in Holland and China, obviously, parts of Italy. We're not a very densely populated country, I suppose, is uh, what I'm trying to say. And even, even in the cities, most people don't live in big apartment blocks. They live in suburban houses. So therefore, it should be possible to maintain uh, a sort of distance from each other in a way that hasn't been possible in other countries, We have, certainly in in urban areas, reasonable broadband availability, so lots of people will be able to work from home. We're a rich Western country uh, with all the advantages that that entails. And we are a reasonably coherent society in that you've seen instances in the past, like foot and mouth and that, where there was uh, a genuine national effort uh, to achieve um, health outcomes, albeit one that was in you know much less seriously, affect uh, human health. On the other hand, uh, our health system uh, is not in good shape. Our hospitals are almost overwhelmed most of the time, even before this hit. So, if you look at what happened in Italy, and I've been speaking to friends over there, and the health system in Lombardy was actually quite good, but has been completely overwhelmed. In the hospitals there, they were able to move out many of the patients that were in the hospital to prepare for uh, the influx of patients and still they have been overwhelmed. And I think that if if and when we begin to get large numbers of people coming in to accident emergency units into uh, into hospital with this illness, then I think very quickly they will be uh, very obviously overwhelmed by it, and uh, and that's not that's not good.
1: Um, politics goes on. Jen, you were away for a week and you came back and the very slow process of government formation had moved forward perhaps imperceptibly, although in the last 24 hours it seems to have picked up pace and again perhaps for the very same reason that the external pressures are becoming so great.
2: Yeah, it was nice of it was nice of them to hold off on any news while I was away so that I didn't <laughs> have much to catch up on when I came back but then uh, yesterday we did we did see um, tangible movement so we know that Leo Varadkar and Micheál Martin met again uh, they spoke again and that The decision has been made to enter, I suppose, what you could call for the next, at least the next week, um, informal negotiations, uh, because for Leo Varadkar to actually go into talks on a programme for government uh, with Fianna Fáil, he's going to need the backing of the parliamentary party meeting at this moment in time. There are no plans for the parliamentary party to meet until, I'm told, Thursday week um, so, which is the day I believe the doll is due to come back to have a, a vote on Taoiseach. So uh, Leo Varga did write to the Parliamentary Party uh, last night and he specifically said, uh, one part stuck out, about how the public health emergency posed by COVID-19 marked a dramatic change in context. So we've moved away from this line of... Fine Gael going into opposition and the context has changed. So well, I think what we're going to see now, obviously, every time something happens or there are talks, the, the question is always, what next? What next? And I think because Leo Varadkar is going to Washington today for the St. Patrick's Day festivities or the very much curtailed festivities, given the coronavirus, uh, that will take up the political... Uh, room I suppose for today and then I think Simon Coveney will travel to New York uh, later in the week or at least at this moment in time he's due to go to New York later in the week. So what you're talking about probably in this period this week is informal scoping talks between uh, members of the negotiating teams on both sides. Um, I believe that Simon Coveney and Derek O'Leary will be having um uh, scoping discussion uh, today and that will basically involve them going through where they have consensus, where they have uh, policy differences, how important those differences are, how likely it is they can they can get over that and I suppose once those talks are done uh, over the next couple of days next week then I think things will ramp up again a notch.
0: How significant was the, the move yesterday Pat? Very significant, it's the most significant move since the process began I I think these things are put together in three stages. One, when the the parties acknowledge that there is a deal to be done. Uh, Secondly, when the deal is actually done and then when it's sold to their parties. And uh, we're at stage one now, but it is the important and decisive stage because once these things get moving, they tend to reach a, a, a satisfactory conclusion from the point of view of the participants. I think that things will happen reasonably quickly now. I don't for a moment underestimate the difficulties in putting together a final agreement, not just between the two parties, but between the, the two parties and the Green Party. But what has changed in recent weeks and the thing that has made this possible and brought it forward, I think, is the external environment. The political context has changed entirely in recent weeks as a result of the coronavirus. It will continue to do so. And I think that the participants can see that now. They realise that There is no alternative but to put together this new government and however difficult that may be for them in working out the details of that. uh, I think that is, I've thought it unavoidable for some time, actually, but uh, I think it is likely it will be done uh, sooner rather than later now.
1: Yes, Jen, one of the things that strikes me about this is that only a week or maybe a little bit more ago, we were talking about the significant hurdles that might be faced by some of the parties who might be part of that agreement, namely Fianna Fáil and possibly the Greens, in actually getting it past their own grassroots members, which, which, which they need to do. The Greens with a 66% majority as well. But it's much harder now to envisage a situation where the leadership or the negotiating teams of the relevant parties come to some agreement and that that would then be blocked by the membership against the backdrop of what's happening in the country. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I would agree with the assessment that the the coronavirus has completely changed the political circumstance. I think that the level, the the speed of talks previously was not sustainable. And this public health uh, situation has really kind of shown it up for what it is, which is a, a bit ridiculous when... When it comes to what's actually happening, which was nothing really, it wasn't. It was, there were talks and there were meetings and people were talking about their policies, but there wasn't really that much actually happening. Um, so I don't really know if it's a difficult one because the the party, the grassroots members, I think will be totally aware, as everybody in the country is, of the situation in relation to the coronavirus. I'm actually not so sure that that would change enough minds to make this in any way a done deal. I think there's a really, really difficult time ahead, regardless of the coronavirus. And, and I think it will come down to policy, because for the Green Party to be able to go into any coalition government, they're going to need to see some significant changes. Some And that would involve an admission from a party like Fine Gael that actions that they've taken before weren't enough or were wrong. I mean... Yes, the coronavirus has sped things up. Yes, it has kind of shone a light on it, but I'm not entirely convinced that it will be enough to sway enough people to make this in any way a done deal. And, you know, the Green Party especially will be scarred by their previous involvement in government. And they will, especially the members, they have a huge number of members. They've seen a, a huge influx in members over the last couple of years. And the presumption is and the expectation is that a lot of those Grassroots members actually may be a lot more hardline in their approach than maybe the parliamentary party uh, or indeed the party leader. So what lies ahead is in no way clear. It's going to be very, very difficult. And nothing is a given right now.
0: Pat, what's your read on that? Yeah, I think that's a good point about the changed profile of the Greens membership. And that is, you know, something that will become apparent over the coming coming days and weeks. I, I think you have to bear in mind that the context, the polit- the external political context will continue to change. So in two weeks time, we have seen how much you know it has changed in even in the last week uh, because of the um because of the fears about the spread of the virus. In two weeks time you're likely to have You know, we would probably have had our first, going by the experience in other countries, we will probably have hundreds, if not thousands of cases. We may, the schools may be shut. Uh, There may be restrictions on public transport. We would probably have had our first deaths uh, from the virus. So the context will keep on changing and it will pile on the pressure. The pressure will not ease off to form a government, will not ease off. It will intensify, I think, and possibly intensify very spectacularly. And uh, I think Jen is entirely right that this will be a very difficult deal to put together and to sell. But I think that won't change. But what will change is the alternative to not doing a deal, which is to leave the country in the midst of a political crisis at the time when it's facing its most dangerous health crisis ever by some, uh, by some distance. And, uh, and I think that will impel the participants at all levels, both at grassroots level and at party leadership level, into a deal to provide the country with a new government.
1: And we will continue to cover all those developments in all their different facets on IrishTimes.com in the days and weeks ahead. Um, Thanks to Pat and to Jen for joining us. Thanks also to Declan Conlon for producing. Remember that you can get more of our journalism at IrishTimes.com/slash subscribe. You can sign up there for the introductory price of one euro for the first month. And you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, and all the other major platforms. Also at IrishTimes.com/slash podcast. And please do mail us at politicspodcast at IrishTimes.com to tell us what you think. But until the next time, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys.